0: Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Uh, We are in this series from the book of First and Second Kings. Uh, Kings are these history books uh, in the Old Testament, which who loves the history books in the Old Testament? Anybody like, oh, those are my faves. Okay, we got a couple of people here. They're interesting, right? It's a lot of failures, so that's fun. Um, And that's what King's is. It is the history of Israel's attempt to force God to do stuff the way they wanted him to do it. And that doesn't usually work out super well. Uh, But that's what happens in story after story of these kings trying to make God's will happen, and then it not working really, really, like tragically poorly and then God's sending prophets to say hey guys you're on the wrong path let's fix this and then they start to change uh, a little bit and then they fall back into it and it's like this really up and down back and forth thing but you can't talk about kings without talking about Solomon. He has the biggest timeline in the entire books, uh, other than maybe Elijah, uh, but he's got this huge section at the beginning of 1 Kings, so I want to talk about Solomon uh, today. You know, Solomon, I'm sure we've all heard of him because he's like mythical, right? Right? Solomon's treasure, Solomon's temple. He's this guy from stories that somebody like Indiana Jones goes searching for, uh, trying to find what was left behind. You know, the 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 fabled temple, all of his treasure, like uh, hidden somewhere beneath the ground. Now in in Israel, um, he's like wise. He's uh, hugely famous. He's well liked. That's the the story around him, at least, the myth that's been created. Um, in reality, he's the prototype for Israel's kings, and that's not actually a good thing, uh, because Israel's kings aren't people that you really, for the most part, want to live your life like, and Solomon fits into that, because he it's revealed through his life that he's a prototype for all the wrong reasons he, he's super messy he's unfaithful he is selfish he's immature and that's just putting it nicely I could use other words for him uh, if we wanted to uh, and so that's who Solomon is and we're going to talk about that a little bit and you know I know that like talking about some of these Old Testament people you're kind of like how does this actually connect to my life like I do not have millions of people who want to know my opinion on everything. Sorry, that's just not your reality. You know, like even no matter how big of an influencer you are, uh, that's not your reality. You don't have millions of dollars of wealth at your disposal to just throw away wherever you want to throw it. Like there's not a lot that we can connect to about Solomon the king. But Solomon the man has a lot that we can connect to. Because Solomon the man has responsibilities that he wasn't quite ready to deal with. Uh, he has a family that shaped how he is and who he is. And he has a religion that seems to affect his practices, but hasn't really affected his heart, is what it starts to show. I think we could connect a lot with Solomon the man. Tim Mackey said about Solomon's story that it's a story of slow compromise towards disaster. Maybe not how you've thought about Solomon in the past, uh, but we'll take a look and see what the Bible tells us about his life. So I want to pray that we're going to read about this guy. Uh, When I prayed, though, this morning, I was just thinking about it, and I just want to pray for a second for the other churches in our community that we get to be partners with in seeing jesus move in our area so i'm going to mention some by name and i'm not going to mention all of them and so if i forget one and you think of them don't scream it out but say it in your head and ask jesus to be working with them today as well but let's pray uh and just think about the kingdom on a broad scale in our in our area as we pray so jesus i just thank you that we're not the only option uh, that there are other people throughout our communities, our towns, that are trying to reach uh, our area with your kingdom, with your goodness, with your love. And I thank you that we get to partner with some of them, like Faith and Sanctuary, uh, the Korean Presbyterian Church here in town, the ways that we get to partner with St. John's, with St. Luke, uh, with so many churches in Uh, Milford that you're using and then Upton and Westboro and Holliston and Ashland and just all over this area and Jesus I just pray for you to be moving there this morning I pray that your kingdom will be coming in those places as they focus on you and invite you to come pray for people to come to know you for the first time in their churches I pray for uh, life change to be happening I pray for you to really be uh, protecting and empowering the leaders of those churches as well. And thank you that we get to do ministry as the Big C Church, uh, not just our own version of it. And thank you for the the privilege that that is. And, Jesus, I just invite you to come into this place, to speak, to move, to reveal yourself to us. We just give you this space. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to be in First Kings. If you want to open up to there, you can. But, you know, the story of Solomon, it begins with a dream and a request for wisdom. <clears throat> Excuse me. He has this dream where God comes and speaks to him shortly after becoming king, and he says what it is that he wants. And he says that he wants to be wise. So let's talk about wisdom in the Old Testament for a second before we read what it is that he says. The book of Proverbs is our most like commonly quoted uh, book on wisdom in the Old Testament. And the book of Proverbs tells us that a wise person has these character traits. They trust God. They submit to God's word. They're teachable. They're generous. They learn from suffering. And they participate in bringing justice. Those are the character traits of a wise person throughout the book of Proverbs. So with that in mind, let's read what Solomon asks for in 1 Kings 3. He asks God, Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who is by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? And the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So Solomon makes this request. He's early in being king. His dad just died. And he says, please help me to be able to do this thing well. And God was pleased with that. Hypothetically, it seems like Solomon is asking to be wise in the Old Testament tradition. But if you look at his life, I would say that that's not actually what it was that he was asking for. Because he didn't quite know what that looked like. Because honestly, that's never who Solomon is. Those things that I said, let's just go through a checklist of things that he did in his first 20 years as king. Before he has this dream, he marries Pharaoh's daughter. Like his first act as king is to marry Pharaoh's daughter. Now, if you've read other parts of the old testament which he would have as an israelite you would know deuteronomy seven three and four which says that you're not supposed to marry somebody who worships another god that was pretty foundational like that was a basic understanding as an israelite but he marries somebody as his first act who doesn't worship god and he aligns himself with like one of the biggest like enemies of the israelites which is kind of weird and, and a strange move to make right away and then right after he has this dream we see a list of officials that he puts in charge of his kingdom and kind of buried within is this official who is in charge of slave labor have you ever read that did you ever notice that solomon had an official in charge of slave labor you're not supposed to have slaves that's like anti-god like that is against god's law But he has an official in charge of slave labor, and he didn't take over another country and enslave their people, which means he started enslaving his own people as one of his first acts as king. Can you imagine that? Like this guy takes over as king and right away he goes to like some of the poor areas and says, okay, you're all slaves now. Not only do you not get paid, now you just do whatever I want for free cheap labor. And he puts somebody in in charge of them. And then he goes and he builds the temple and it's much cheaper to build the temple when you have slave labor, right? Much cheaper, cuts down on expenses dramatically. And he spent seven years building the temple and that's great and good. But he follows that up by building his own palace for 13 years. Seven years on, his own, on, on God's house, 13 years on his own house. Like So you might think that the temple sounds like this epic place, like this amazing place, which it, it was. But think how epic and amazing his own palace was if he spent twice as long on it. So looking at this list of of characteristics of a wise person, where does he fit? Does he trust in God? I would say that's an eh, middle of the road. Does he submit to God's word? That is a no. That one we can say solidly. Is he teachable? Does he learn from suffering? Well, we don't have a lot of like uh, data points on that, but it's questionable a little bit at this point. Is he generous? Um, I guess the temple was generous, but he's also selfish, Is he participating in bringing justice? 100% no. Is Solomon wise? Uh, I don't know. Why is he like this? The guy who's been given everything by God and by his parents. Like, why is he like this? You know, I look at Solomon and I see the traits of somebody who never made their faith their own. It was his country's religion and so he had to fit to it it was his parents religion and so he had to fit to it but it doesn't seem to be his own it doesn't seem to be something that he ever actually grabbed a hold of completely himself you know i have listened to a lot of uh not too many i don't want to exaggerate it but plenty of people who have deconstructed their faith it's a pretty popular thing to do over the past five years, if we're being honest. Uh, it's a very popular thing, and, and you can get a lot of um, screen screen space if you deconstruct your faith in some ways. People want to read your books, and they want to listen to your podcasts, and usually people who have deconstructed their faith, it's because they felt that the system of beliefs that they had been taught was fragile and faulty and it couldn't stand up to their questions fragile faulty couldn't stand up to their questions because and this is not their fault usually usually it's the people in authority above them's fault for some of this because when they had tried to ask questions they were told that they needed to be quiet they needed to you know just go along with it just believe just listen to like what wiser people than you have said just go along with what it, this is just what the bible says so why do you need to ask questions and they're shushed and they're quieted and they're pushed to the side nobody likes that right nobody enjoys being shushed quieted and pushed to the side and they've also then see because then they're starting to dig and they're like well what who's this person to be the expert and they're like wait their life doesn't match up to what they're saying either And the hypocrisy starts to grow. And it starts to like just add up. It's usually folks who have grown up in the church. So I was listening to one of these conversations recently. And I was like, Jesus, please don't let that happen to people in our church. Don't let people in our church think that they can't ask questions. That following you is fragile and like faulty. Like, and you know what Jesus kind of told me? He's like, hey, bud, that's your job. You know, and I was like, okay, I get you. I hear you on that one. So for a moment, I want to speak to the younger folks in the room. Although if this fits you in any way, take it in. But I know especially younger folks who have grown up in the church. Like, I just want to say this really clearly, that you can ask questions. You can believe things that are different than what I believe. You can disagree with me. You can have questions about what your parents believe or what authority figures believe. You're allowed to struggle to reconcile your faith to life. You could be honest about the ways that you don't understand it or you don't get it or it doesn't make sense. That's all allowed. In fact, I would say it's healthy. And here's why you can do this. Because Jesus isn't fragile. The kingdom of God isn't fragile. It, our faith isn't like a Jenga stack. You know that game where you pull out the blocks? I think that's sometimes how we look at our faith. And we're like, if I poke the one thing through, everything's going to come crashing down that's not true jesus can stand he can deal with your doubts your questions your your uh your frustrations your anger at things your your questions about hypocrisy he can deal with it don't be afraid to make your faith your own there's a guy named brian Zond who's a pastor and he wrote this article called uh, deconstruction or restoration and in it he encourages people to be art restorers you know people who dig and and clear to bring the beauty back to art pieces versus demolition experts when it comes to your faith versus people who just throw a grenade and then run that's usually what we do when it comes to faith right we're like lob it and then duck we want to just get out of the way And this is what he says. He says that it's true that faith in Jesus has been distorted over the centuries by layers of varnish, dirt, and grime. The beautiful image of Christ has been obscured by the imposition of cultural assumptions, political agendas, distorted doctrines, and the corrupting influence of empire. Fundamentalism, literalism, nationalism, and consumerism have created layers of varnish that distort the image, the beautiful image of Christ. But we don't need to deconstruct our faith. We need to restore our faith. And we do it prayerfully. We do it patiently. We do it reverently. He says his journey of rediscovering the beauty of Christ was a journey I traveled in prayer. My heart was changed as I learned to sit with Jesus in prayer. Don't deconstruct. Pray. Sit with Jesus. Gaze upon his beauty Wipe away the false varnish with your tears of gratitude. This is restoration, not deconstruction. And this is what will save your faith. Friends, Jesus wants to sit with you in the middle of your questions, of your doubts, of the struggles that you're going through. He might give you some answers. But at least in my experience, he doesn't give you all of them right away. And it takes a while. But what I found that he always does is that he meets me in that place of silence. And he fills it with his presence. It's not an answer, but it's pretty darn good when you're in those places of doubt and struggle. Allow yourself to be a restorer, not a demolition expert when it comes to following Jesus. You know, I wholeheartedly believe that if Solomon would have actually made his faith his own, his life and his reign would have looked dramatically different. But he didn't. He never tried to. And instead, what was left is instead of being a wise king, he was a foolish king. But God keeps giving Solomon chances. So I want to read the second dream that God gives Solomon in chapter 9 of 1 Kings. Verse 2, it says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he had done before at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I've heard your prayer and your petition, and I've set this temple apart to be holy. This place you built where my name will be honored forever, I will watch over it, for it's dear to my heart. Ask for you, if you follow me with integrity and godliness, as David your father did, obeying all my commands, then I will establish the throne of your dynasty over Israel forever. For I made this promise to your father David, one of your descendants will always sit on the throne of Israel. But if you or your descendants abandon me, disobey And if you serve and worship other gods, then I will uproot Israel from this land that I've given them. I will reject the temple that I have made holy. I will make Israel an object of mockery and ridicule among nations. And though this temple is impressive now, all who pass by will be appalled and will gasp in horror. They will ask, why did the Lord do such terrible things to this land and to this temple? And the answer will be, because his people abandoned the Lord their God who brought their ancestors out of Egypt and they worshiped other gods instead and bowed down to them. That is why the Lord brought all these disasters on them. You can kind of like hear God's undertone in this to Solomon. Very official, but his undertone is, Hey, Solomon, I'm not clueless. I've seen you. I know the choices that you've made. I know the decisions that you've already, like the path you've already walked down. I'm aware. And I'm not okay with it. But Solomon gets this dream, and like immediately he chooses something else. Two times that God comes to him, speaks to him like flesh to flesh almost. Like, I've never had this sort of a thing. Like, I've never heard God in that, like, like personal, like, you know, mega megaphone voice, like, speaking to me. Twice he gets it, and twice he says, nah, other stuff. I want to look at Solomon now as not a king, but as a son. Because in these verses, there's something really interesting that God says. God says, if you follow me with integrity and godliness... As your father David did. His dad was held up as an example of a godly person. But you know what's the truth about David? David was a tremendously sinful person as well. And who has a dad who did something not good? Raise your hands. Every single one of you should raise your hand if you had a father. Like you're, it's there. We're not throwing shade at him. Like this is just reality, right? And so you look at your dad, and if God was like, "This is the prototype of what a man should be," you might be like, "But he just did this yesterday." Like, and you'd be like, "I'm, I'm pretty sure you got that wrong, right?" Solomon would be looking at his dad, and he's like, "God, I'm sure you messed that one up because, like, honestly." I'm not that much worse than my dad. Like, let me tell you about his parents. His parents, David and Bathsheba, the way their relationship started is uh, Bathsheba was at her house um, taking a bath in her bathroom, uh, which was on the roof, I guess, because that's how it was back in the day. And the palace is tall, and he could see things, and he peeped, which is bad news. And then he sent his soldiers to go bring her to him. And then they consummated the relationship, which I doubt was mutual. And she gets pregnant. And then he has her husband killed to cover up. And after that, then he brings her in and he marries her officially. And then her baby dies that she got pregnant from, from their uh, their. Not, not relationship, relationship. And then uh, several years later, she gets pregnant again, and his name is Solomon. How about that for a birth story? <laughs> like, we think our families are messed up. This dude was epic. Like, that's terrible. That's the story of how his parents met. You're never sitting around the table with the grandkids saying, grandma and grandpa tell us how you met (laughs) like that's that's terrible it's so like Solomon that was his life I would assume his mom was not the biggest fan of his dad that's fair I think honestly and too often we've like covered this over and tried to make it because like we want David to look good. Look, God forgave him and that is beautiful. And I am grateful that God forgives somebody like David because somebody named Stephen needs forgiveness just as much. And I am grateful for grace that I am given when I need it. But the dude did terrible things and it wasn't her fault. Okay, you hear me, right? Okay, good. Don't, don't whitewash it. Be grateful for who God is and say, man, we need you even more. That's what we need to do in these stories. So Solomon's looking at this and he's like, okay, God, like you want me to be like my dad? I don't think that that's actually that good of a thing, but fine. If that's the prototype, if that's what I need to be like, then I'll do it. And he goes along. And he's like, fine, if that's who I need to be. But you see, he had his dad as the figure, as the example. And you know what happens when we make humans into the example of how we need to live? They fail every single time. I'm a dad. And there are so many times that I do stuff. And I'm like, this is my prayer afterwards. Jesus, please help my kids to get past me like for real who's a parent you can agree with that right help my kids to not get stuck on me right my dad was a pastor i know what it's like to have your parent be a spiritual authority figure in your life as well as your parent it's messy it's complicated i have a lot of empathy for solomon But Solomon needed to realize at some point that God has to be his example, not his dad. That somebody, like, if you're putting a human there, it's all going to fall apart because human idols fail every single time. If I make people into idols, at best, I will become numb to sin because I'm going to see them sinning and I'm going to say, well, if they can do it, then so can I. At worst... I am completely going to fall away from following Jesus because I'm going to see them mess up. And I'm going to say, well, if they can't do it, then I don't stand a chance. If humans are our idols, we're in a bad spot. But Jesus, if he's our example, we're good. Because if Jesus is our example, then when we sin, We're not going to become numb to it we're going to ask for mercy and then we're going to keep working so that we don't keep doing it we'll reject sin if jesus is our example we will give ourselves grace when we fail but we won't be content to stay in that place of continually doing the same thing over and over again because we won't be comfortable with it and we'll keep pushing ourselves to mature like jesus ephesians 4 in the message says it this way Paul says to them, my assumption is that you have paid careful attention to Jesus, that you've been well instructed in the truth precisely as we have it in Jesus. So since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. Since we do not have the excuse of ignorance, everything connected to that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through, so get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. Those verses are hugely convicting to me. Get rid of it all. Don't let your life rot because you were content to stay. I want to be a person who's being renewed, not a person who's rotting. You know, I uh, was telling uh, some friends a story and I realized that it was the perfect analogy for this. Uh, I had a friend, a roommate, whose car was literally literally rotting. Um, So let me tell you about how that happened. It was pretty gross. Um, He was a very nice guy. Um, I'm kind, I'm a clean freak so that should be your basis for this so like this bothers me quite a bit but my friend was a really nice guy loved Jesus like was an English teacher like really good guy um, but he was disgustingly messy like really really bad and like he was getting ready to move and so I was helping him with something and so I got into his car and I like had to put my feet on top of the trash you know, you ever gotten into one of those? And you're like, okay, uh, don't crunch. You know, like, uh, it's so like I'm, I'm driving and we're, we're going like five minutes away. And as we're driving, I'm like, I'm starting to get sick from the smell. It was so bad. It was mid-January in Ohio. It was freezing outside. And I put that window down. And I was like, I'm sorry, but like, I can't. It's just too bad. Like, I feel terrible right now. I got to put the window. And he chuckled, you know, the way somebody would who's been living with that for a while. And uh, we get back to the house after doing whatever. And I'm like, can I help you clean this out, please? Like, pretty please? And so we go, and get the trash can and we start like throwing stuff. There's nothing, just trash, normal trash through like the main body of the car. So we open up the trunk we open it and all of a sudden it was like whoo okay there it is do you kill people did I not know this like this is decomposing body smells and so like I was like kind of scared and I'm like how about you go first do you reach it and so we're like going through and we clean it all out and you know he's doing the like oh that's where that went thing you know and like making it cute not cute dude not cute And, and so like we finally we get to the back this is what it was You know that protein powder stuff, whey, whatever? I don't know. I don't do that, obviously. I guess you can tell, probably. But um, don't say anything about that, but you can tell. Uh, So it had spilled all over after it had gone bad. He had gotten it for, like, cheap. Um, And then right next to it was a crate of oranges. Well, they used to be oranges, Now they're a science experiment. It's white and green and blue and you know how it goes. The entire thing was covered with mold. There was nothing left. Like nothing at all. So this whey powder and the mold had just like combined into like, it was like Frankenstein was going to rise again from this thing. It was disgusting. And when I looked at it, I was like, this is where I exit blessings and i'll see you later like i'm out like i just walked away it was so disgusting at that point it all started with good intentions he wanted to get healthier so he had some oranges on sale that he bought he bought some of this like protein powder whatever nonsense wanted to get healthier but then he just kept putting stuff on top of it. Just kept adding, just kept adding. And all of a sudden, his, his best intentions started to rot out his entire life. Solomon, I think at the beginning, had good intentions. You know what the best way is to keep peace? Intermarry with other royals. Like everybody does that, right? Like that's been a thing forever. Not in this kingdom. You know, everybody else has slaves. Not in this kingdom. And then he just kept adding on top of it. And First Kings 11 says that Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from all over the place. And the Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your heart to their gods. And yet he insisted on loving them Anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. Just astonishing. I mean, it's like the pure, like, anyway, it's whatever. It's like if I married the whole, like, I don't know, which community around us has a thousand, I don't know, whatever. It's just baffling. Uh, And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. The Lord was very angry with Solomon for his heart had turned away from him. Who had appeared to him twice. He had warned him specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon didn't listen. So now the Lord said to him, Since you've not kept my covenant, you've disobeyed, I will tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. Solomon made a thousand bad choices, and they destroyed him. The women weren't at fault. They were just pawns in this game. Solomon knew better. Solomon chose. He had been warned and he got lazy. And his rot, unfortunately, didn't stop at just him, but it destroyed his entire country. Tim Mackey said that his kingdom and his heart were compromised by idolatry and injustice, eventually leading to disaster. All that wealth and abundance, he thought was a sign of blessing, looks very different now. It looks like a sad story of slow compromise leading to disaster. A sad story of slow compromise. The warning for us from Solomon is that little choices can lead us to a place of complete disaster when we don't deal with the rot that's underneath it all. Worship team, you can come on up. The story of Solomon versus the story of his father David is different. For Solomon, it's the story of a man who did no fantastically terrible sins and yet led his life to a complete and total abandonment of God. Marry a woman who worships another God, fine. White. Here's another 15. Doesn't matter at that point. You know, worship another God other than you know uh yahweh whatever title that he was giving like fine i'm already placing altars at 15 other gods like what does another 5 work, like matter it's just oranges in the back of my trunk that i just keep throwing stuff on top of until it's so covered by disobedience and laziness and willful avoidance and fear and shame that I can't even do it to get it out. Friends, the good news for us is that you don't have to keep throwing trash in the trunk. You can empty it. You can get rid of the rot completely. And Jesus will meet you there. But this is where we get stuck so much. When we have this stuff happen, you know what we usually do? We avoid We keep our eyes down. I don't want to talk to God. I know what God's going to talk to me about. I don't want to go there. It's not worth it. Like, I'd rather just go and stare at Facebook for an hour and a half. Like, I don't want to go deal with this. Like, I'm just going to keep avoiding. We keep our head down. We get tunnel vision. We refuse to look up. Here's the first step, friends. You want to get rid of all the rot? It's the first and the only step. Look at Jesus lift your head up stop letting shame be the thing that controls you look at jesus stop letting your questions be so big that god can't ever take them look at jesus and ask your questions stop saying well when i finally get over this one thing no look at jesus and say how do i get over this one thing Stop saying the thing that I did is too bad and now it's gross and nobody can get in my car because they throw up from the smell of it. No, look at Jesus and he'll come and he'll wipe it all out. Look at Jesus. Stop looking at whatever it is and bring it to Jesus.